Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who has never had to exit mid-podcast due to quote-unquote cramps. Lamar Jackson's rally and the all-around thrilling Ravens-Browns game were the big football stories on Monday night. But the safety with no time on the clock was the big gambling story of the evening. For those who bet the Browns plus three and a half, getting the best number after it moved from plus one a few days earlier and getting the hook as well. Where does this rank among brutal bad beats on a scale of one to ten knees in the crotch? How many knees in the crotch do you give this one, John? Uh, well, none if you bet on FanDuel because they paid out about $750,000 <laughs> in bad beat refunds. Yep. Uh, I would say a portion of which has just been regained by my mentioning it on Gamble On. But uh, <laughs> that's that's the whole idea, I guess. I believe DraftKings offered like a $50 free bet to all, which seems weird to me because that's a great deal for cheapskates like me. But it'd be chump change for a more adventurous better. But it, it's better than nothing, I suppose. Um, I was going to bet the Ravens minus three just before the game, by the way. And I was offered only that minus three and a half points. And I wasn't thrilled about it. And I, I guess for Almost rightly so. Right. Uh, so at that point, I, I figured I'd shop around. I took a parlay of Ravens win by any means necessary, uh, which they did. Right. And Lamar Jackson over 50-something rushing yards at a plus price. So uh, I cashed on that one. Uh, I wonder if big-time players who lost that one called their legal sports book and pointed out Fandle's offer. I mean, seems like a pretty good leverage to me. So the knees in the crotch there might go the other way if the book doesn't play nice. <laughs> uh, I'd be very curious to see what happened there. Uh, for the average Joe, though, this is about – 10 knee crotches. The worst case scenario, once the Ravens kicked the field goal with two seconds left to lead 45-42 was uh, there's no worse. That's not a worst case. That's not a realistic worst case scenario. No way. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You take away the bad beat refund element. And uh, this was absolutely brutal because if you did bet the Browns at three or three and a half, you you were timing it right, and uh, and and this was just a horrendous way to get screwed. The old eight <laughs> lateral, five fumble safety. Uh, those numbers are approximate. I didn't actually count them up, but it was something like that. Um, like you remember that Eagles hail mary and two point conversion a few weeks ago against Seattle. We noted that if you did bet the Seahawks at minus six or minus six and a half and get screwed, it was kind of on you because they were minus four or minus five earlier in the week. Yeah. So so this was a worse beat, in my opinion, for Browns betters. Now, it didn't make a difference to me as the only line I took on this game was Baltimore minus one early in the week. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not typically a huge fan of these sports books overdoing the bad beat refund, but... This feels like a valid case for it, for extending an olive branch to that person who is just hating sports betting after getting screwed on that safety. So, I, yeah, I was going to give this at least nine knees to the crotch out of ten, <laughs> but I think you convinced me. This this one does get the full ten knees to the crotch, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I agree that the... The bad beat refund thing can be a little overdone, but this is the perfect scenario. So I think they got it just right. Yeah. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 122 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 121 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. If you subscribe to Gamble On and you later decide you don't like it, we promise you a full bad beat refund.
Coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by veteran NBA writer Chris Sheridan, who I've known for too many decades to mention, uh, to help us preview the NBA season that starts next Tuesday, believe it or not. Uh, we're going to get Chris's thoughts on championship futures, MVP futures, and how the shortened offseason might impact over-under strategy play. Uh, but first, it's been a reasonably busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. It's that time of the month, time to announce that New Jersey has broken the record for single month, single state sports betting handle that it had just set the previous month. For the fourth month in a row, the Garden State set a new record as November saw a handle of $931.6 million, nearly $130 million more than October. 93.6% of that money was wagered online, a record for any month in which the Atlantic City casinos were open all month. The revenue wasn't quite as high as the month before, however, as the hold was down a bit to 5.4%, which leaves $6.2 million in tax revenue for the state. The Meadowlands Racetrack, powered chiefly by the FanDuel app, is number one in the state, followed by Resorts Digital and the DraftKings app. Also, Online Casino had another extremely strong month with $91.8 million in revenue, the second highest tally ever. John, what are your main takeaways from this November report from the New Jersey DGE? And the big prediction question, will we see the billion-dollar barrier broken in December? Mm, yeah, let's see. Not as many college football games, but the ones we have are bigger. No Masters or anything close in golf. Right. But here comes the NBA for just over a week, and Christmas Day betting uh, – yeah, I'm sure some people <laughs> would have a philosophical objection to that, but uh, <laughs> let's be honest, it's it's going to be big, and uh, and I won't make any uh, other references there. Um, but I say no to a billion because former Gamble on podcast guest Captain Jack reminded us this week that there were five Saturdays in November, and that makes a difference. So I'll say it goes up slightly, but comes up just short for that reason. Um, I think I looked at the calendar. I saw that tweet from Captain Jack and I double checked it. I think there were five Sundays in November, but not five Saturdays. He he might have said like five weekends or something. And so uh, sort of right. But he, but Sunday is bigger than Saturday. And anyway, if I'm uh, if I was looking at the calendar correctly. Um, so, yeah, that. That seems to be the key issue in terms of whether the record will be rebroken again in, in December. Uh, December, we know, will have only four Saturdays and four Sundays. Um, but there are other factors that are hard to predict here. Uh, you know, the snow has arrived. We're, we're done with nice outdoor days. More and more indoor activities are, are banned. So people will be stuck at home in New Jersey with nothing to do uh, more so in December than was the case in November. So I think that beefs up the betting handle. You mentioned the return of NBA. Uh, I believe it's 10 days of NBA games in December. Uh, that's certainly not insignificant. I'm not sure what to make of the Christmas holiday. Uh, you know, it may be a day or two when a lot of people are thinking about things other than gambling, or maybe not. Maybe maybe the, the NBA on Christmas Day is going to drive huge gambling traffic. Um, so it's going to be close, but I do think that losing a, a football Sunday relative to the previous month is the biggest factor. Each Sunday is probably worth something like $100 million in, in handle uh, in New Jersey. So uh, I lean toward, no, we don't hit a billion in December, and, and I think we actually come up a little bit short of that $931 million record that was just set. I almost forgot uh, Pennsylvania come up small with only $492 million, down a few ticks from October even. Yep. Uh, you know, Big Brother PA gets shoved to the ground by Little Brother New Jersey with a Simpson character Nelson Muntz, ha-ha, thrown in for good measure. <laughs> Sure, maybe 20% or so of the New Jersey handles from New Yorkers, I'll admit it. Uh, we welcome them into our borders with open arms, by the way, but still. Yeah, if you're going to do the Nelson reference, don't you have to do the high-pitched ha-ha, John? Come on, let me hear well, a high-pitched. That's high about pitch. as high as I go. <laughs> uh -huh. no, I, there yeah, we I go. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I talked you into trying. It was worth hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the Pennsylvania numbers came out just before we started recording, and uh, yeah, they're, they're down a little. So um, this isn't like the previous months when it was clear that a new national record was coming. I think nationally... October, uh, which is still not all tallied because uh, Illinois hasn't reported yet, but October is going to end up somewhere between 3.1 and 3.2 billion dollars of national handle. Uh, based on the fact that Pennsylvania dropped in November, that might indicate that uh, October nationally will stand up as the record holding month for a little while. 
Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, I still, I'm still laughing even if I can't do the high pitch. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh yeah, I want to add. Let me straighten out uh, so I don't upset Captain Jack. Uh, yeah, it was five Sundays NFL, which uh, actually goes stronger to my point anyway. So and to, and to your point that you made. So yeah, five NFL Sundays in November uh, is a big difference, and I think that overcomes everything else. To uh, we both agree it goes under a billion. So sorry, Captain. Okay. Yes. No. Don't send me any angry DMs, Captain Jack. <laughs> We've clarified it. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, while New Jersey continues to prop up its casino industry with online gaming and sports betting, Ohio legislators seem not to be paying attention. Our second story this week brings the unfortunate news that Ohio will not be legalizing sports betting in 2020, as this is the final week of the state's legislative session and the Senate's sports betting bill isn't on the schedule. What went wrong in Ohio? As Brian Pempis wrote on U.S. Bets, there were two separate bills, one in the House and one in the Senate, and they weren't aligned on a few key details. Also, there was some resistance from colleges in the state. Uh, licensing and renewal fees were still being debated, and the pandemic slowed down all legislation in the state. So it isn't happening this year. And in Ohio, legislation cannot carry over from one session to the next. So in 2021, although they're not quite starting from square one, because at least the sports betting concept has been discussed and debated some, they do have to draft all new bills. John, any thoughts on what went wrong in Ohio? Uh, were you optimistic earlier about the state getting something done in 2020? And how optimistic or pessimistic are you about 2021? I don't ever recall being optimistic about Ohio and sports betting, and I still am not. Hmm. Uh, I, I will say that Ohio State, I'm sorry, the Ohio State University, <laughs> yes. which is the shiny red Corvette bought by a man in his mid-50s uh, of lack of self-awareness of displaying insecurity of college names. <laughs> Uh, that's an 800-pound gorilla, or I'm sorry, the 800-pound gorilla, if you will. Uh, I can't imagine any law at all on any issue getting passed in the Ohio legislature that doesn't have a stamp of approval from Buckeye's brass. So if New Jersey decided that betting on Rutgers games was too big a hurdle to take on, maybe Ohio lawmakers should take notice of that. Or better still, figure out how Pennsylvania managed to allow wagering on Penn State games. Yeah. Uh, is it okay if I refer to you as the John Brennan from now on? How <laughs> no, do you feel no, about that? A, no, not a good look. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, it's uh, it's say uh, the lack of self-awareness there is, uh, you know, it's sort of like, look at me. I'm so big. I'm a big guy. You know, yeah. OK, we knew that you're, you seem pretty big. So why why do you have to like underscore it? What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, I might do it anyway now that I know it's going to bother you. But, uh, all right. Um, so I, I'm a little more optimistic about Ohio than than you are. I, I do think sports betting is coming. The question is when, um, you know, there just don't appear to be huge objections uh, politically. Certainly the, the college uh, thing, the Ohio state, that, that is an issue that they'll need to figure out, but I'm just looking at the geography. Ohio borders five states. Pennsylvania to the east has mobile sports betting. West Virginia to the southeast has it. Indiana to the west has it. Michigan to the northwest about to launch mobile. Only Kentucky to the southwest doesn't have it. And they are another state that's closing in. Uh, so Ohio sports betting tax dollars from all these border towns or even towns, you know, a half hour from a border are going to other states. I would predict Ohio does get moving on this in 2021. Uh, I, I've said this before, the coronavirus shutdowns have to have woken legislators up to the value of online gaming. Um, you know, not that it's the be all and end all savior of state tax collection and budgets. It's a relatively small amount, but it helps. And, and I see Ohio as a state that already had some momentum uh, and, and the experience of COVID in 2020, I think will, will help push it over the finish line next year. Uh, the Senate is not opposed. The House is not opposed. Governor DeWine is not opposed. I think it's coming. I'm, I'm more confident than you are. Well, 1990s, the uh, uh, riverboat casinos uh, sprouted up all over the uh, Midwest and uh, Ohio didn't jump in immediately then either. So I, I, I can't. Everything you say is logical, but Ohio's not really that logical. All right. I smell a side wager. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> All right. And we finished the news segment with COVID casino closings, primarily focusing on my home state of Pennsylvania. Shortly after we recorded last week's podcast, Governor Tom Wolf announced an order prohibiting indoor dining and closing theaters, museums, gyms, and other non-essential indoor businesses, including casinos, as the COVID numbers in the Keystone State have been rising steeply again. The 13 casinos had to close at 12.01 a.m. this past Saturday and will remain closed 
until at least January 4th. So my plans to celebrate Christmas at the craps table will have to be revised. Uh, nationally, uh, 122 casinos are currently closed. That's the highest number since midsummer. Of course, Pennsylvania operators can weather a three-week shutdown better than casinos in most other states, since online casino, poker, and sports betting are all up and running in the state. John, with Wolf making this move, is it a matter of when, not if, for Governor Murphy in New Jersey? And any other thoughts on the status of casinos around the country? Yeah, Eric, let's do craps at Christmas together at Atlantic City Casino of your choice. We'll <laughs> take you pictures and everything. Um, Governor Murphy's shown no signs of shutdowns at casinos or even indoor dining statewide, which I'm pretty sure is going by the, you know, science. Uh, New York State, not just New York City, but New York State, uh, like 73 percent of transmissions are like indoor social interactions or, or whatever. And like 1.3 percent supposedly from bars and restaurants. Um, that doesn't seem like a lot to me, but, you know, and it's 25% maximum capacity of casinos and no dining or bar hopping past 10 PM, you know, there as well. Right. That doesn't strike me as reckless. You know, if a state has actual data indicating that casinos are not speculated to be, but are hotspots for COVID, then shut them down. Of course, I'm no medical expert, but if Pennsylvania has that science to back that shutdown, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, and I've been in plenty of casinos and targets and Walmarts this fall. And anyone who thinks heavily regulated casinos are the scary place to be. I can't help you. And finally, you know, Pennsylvania's loss, by the way, is Atlantic City's gain. It'll be like three weeks of pre-2006 with Pennsylvania spending crossing the border to go into New Jersey pockets all over again. Uh, good times. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, that if, if Atlantic City does stay open, they'll actually be uh, maybe maybe not quite booming, but doing a little better as a result of getting that Pennsylvania business that they hadn't been getting. Um, the arrival of the vaccine adds an interesting wrinkle to all of this. As there is that light at the end of the tunnel, there's something finite about our time before we can return to some version of quote unquote normal. And so now governors are deciding between, well, if we shut it down for just a few more months and get through the winter, we save a lot of lives and then we don't have to do this shutdown stuff anymore. It'll be pretty smooth sailing versus okay, some people are going to get sick and some people are going to die, but the tide will reverse soon. Let's just leave everything open and, and do what's best for some of these businesses. Uh, I get the sense Nevada is going the latter route. I, I really don't think they're closing down again. Um, and that has been a state where the whole casino culture and travel in and out, uh, mm -hmm. I, I think, has very clearly led to a, a lot of viral spread. So I, I think it's going to be ugly there in terms of the virus for a few more months. But it, that just seems to be the path they're on. I really don't think they're shutting back down. Um, New Jersey is a little tougher to say. Um, I'm sure they're watching closely these next few weeks whether Pennsylvania's numbers improve while New Jersey's worsen. But, you know, one way or another, it's going to be a rough winner in the casino industry and in terms of life in America in general. And then there are brighter times ahead, I think, starting in the spring. And the most important thing is that my kids' summer camp has to be open. That's priority number one for me. Get them out of the house. I can imagine. Uh, by the way, if we had a functioning federal government, there would already be some kind of a, a you know, economic relief plan uh, passed and, mm -hmm. and, and its way. And, you know, checks would be going into people's pockets and it would make it would be a lot easier to deal with this. I mean, I'm sympathetic to the Pennsylvania governor and others, but, you know, you're shutting things down and there isn't that backstop. So you're just leaving people in the lurch, uh, you know. So, again, it's difficult decisions, but, uh, you know, this doesn't have to be as difficult as it is. But that's for another day and another podcast. <laughs> so, so you're saying a one-time $1,200 check did not solve all of Americans' problems? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The shortest offseason in major American team sports history ends next Tuesday, December 22nd, when the 72-game NBA season tips off. Joining us now to preview this unusual season and discuss the betting opportunities is Chris Sheridan, who's a columnist for BasketballNews.com and was a longtime hoops reporter for ESPN and the Associated Press and also covers sports gambling for TheLines.com. Chris, welcome to Gamble On. Hi, Eric. Hi, John. Nice to be on with both of you, John. Good to see you again. Uh, as we were talking off air, John and I go way back, old time basketball writers. Uh, <laughs> we used to sit courtside. So 
Bring it on. What do you want to talk about? (laughs) Well, we want to talk about the season ahead, and I want to start with uh, the championship odds. The defending champ, Lakers, are the clear favorite at about plus 270, and they're followed by the Bucks, Nets, and Clippers all in the five to one or six to one range. And then everybody else is about 15 to one or longer. So do you see the Lakers or, or one of those other short money teams offering good value? Or is this an expect the unexpected kind of season and it's better to take a shot on a couple of long shots? Well, my theory is always, you know, if, if you're going to bet the Lakers, you better be damn sure that they're going to win. And And like last year, you could make that that bet and 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 be not quite so sure. This year, it seems like they're better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've added Montrez Harrell from the Clippers, and they've added Dennis Schroeder from the from the Thunder, and they've added Mark Gasol from the Raptors. So uh, they lost Rajon Rondo and they lost Dwight Howard, but they got better. Montrez Harrell was, you know, he was a finalist for Sixth Man of the Year. It was a huge part of that Clipper team. Dennis Schroeder was uh, one of the best players on OKC. Um, so what you get, what the net effect of that is going to be is uh, on a night-to-night basis is Schroeder will take away some of the ball handling skills from LeBron. So I wouldn't bet LeBron to lead the league in assists like he did last year. Mm-hmm. But um, the Lakers are they're just they're a powerhouse, really, really, really good team. Now, are they vulnerable in a seven-game series? Absolutely. And that's where you have to start looking at, um, well, if I was going to bet against the Lakers, who do I think could beat them in a seven-game series? I, I like to point to the Portland Trailblazers. Um, hmm. Portland Trailblazers are, are plus 5,000 or 50 to 1 on the on the championship futures market right now. Yeah. Um, but they've got two great guards in Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Um, we saw Yusuf Nurkic come back from a broken leg in the bubble and was just dominant. He was, if you remember the all bubble teams, he was on, uh, on one of them. Um, he's, you know, it, it's amazing that he used to play on the same team with Jokic in, in Denver. I mean, cause those are two of the best European centers uh, that have ever been around. Uh, and, and then Gary Trent uh, is becoming just a dead eyed off the bench shooter. Uh, he must be taking shooting lessons from Damian Lillard. And they also brought in Enos Cantor uh, to, to back up Nurkic. And if you remember last year with the Celtics, every time they put Cantor in the game in the playoffs, good things happened. And Brad Stevens got second-guessed quite a bit for not playing Cantor more. I know he's a sieve on defense, but he can score and he can off. He, he grabs offensive rebounds and he's good at putbacks. So that's a, a long way of saying if you're not going to bet the Lakers and you're looking for value and you want to take a flyer, take a flyer on Portland. Portland's a damn good team. I think they're the second best team in the Western Conference. All right. I like it. All right. Uh, yeah, Chris said we do go way back. And, you know, if you think back to the 1990s, you know, one thing uh, that I think uh, fans have never really quite understood is they know the playoffs are a long grind. It takes a while. But, uh, you know, being young players, they figure young athletes, great athletes that, oh, you know, it's not going to wear them out too much. But, you know, having done the actual grind, we know, you know, I would usually need the Knicks or Nets to get to the finals or maybe the 76ers uh, to make it there. I didn't make it every year. You were kind of more like Robert Ory. You know, you were in the NBA finals every year. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, but it, it wears you out by the end of the season. You can really feel it. So I'm sort of thinking that with the shortest offseason we ever had, uh, I would think that the oldest teams would, you know, maybe have a hard time getting over their win total or their win percentage total, as they call it this year, uh, because either the coaches are going to rest these guys knowing they're, they're in trouble if they, if they push them too hard or they push them too hard and then they get injured and they got a problem there. So, uh, but then I realized, well, you know what, it depends if the sports bookies, the bookmakers all, they've all baked that in already to the totals, then it doesn't help you to have that theory. So I'm wondering if you feel looking at the numbers that uh, that's already baked in, or is that uh, maybe a value there? You know, it's a, it's a good question, John, because the, the over under win totals have been something that the books have been slow to put up. Um, and a lot of them still haven't put Houston up because they're not sure about Arden. I think this, I think because of the short off season, you're right. There's going to be guys rested and rested regularly. Um, also, They've changed the playoff format. They're going with the play-in tournament now. So teams 7, 8, 9, and 10 are going to be in a little playoff play-in tournament. Um, if you're 7 and 8, you got to win once. If you're 9 and 10, you got to win twice. Um, but what that really has the net effect of doing is giving you 20 playoff teams. So 20 of the 30 teams are going to make the playoffs. That gives coaches a little more incentive to rest guys and just finish top 10. I mean, ideally, you want to finish the top eight so that you only have to win one of the playoff games. But 
uh, top 10 keeps you safe. And so you got a cushion there. Um, and it, it makes the, the regular season games a little less meaningful. I mean, even when it was, you know, the saying in, in the NBA as well, it was just one of 82. And if a team got, got their asses kicked on, on any given night, they said, well, it's one of 82. We got another game tomorrow and we got another one after that. And there's 82. And then we'll see where we are after 82 and whether we make the playoffs or not. So, um, I don't think the the average fan realizes um, how run of the mill some of these regular season games are and how meaningless they are to a lot of the coaches and a lot of the players um, when, like when they're in a grind, when they're on a, in a five games and seven night road trip, um, they don't take losses too hard. And um, there's very few teams that are, that, uh, that are accepted from that rule. Some of the Chicago Bulls teams that John and I covered back in the nineties, um, they were an exception. They took every single game seriously, even if it was the fifth game in seven nights on a, on a seven-night, five-game Western road trip. They wanted to win every single damn one of those games. And um, I don't see any team out there now uh, that's kind of wired the same way. Um, players uh, are rested. David Stern never would have stood for it. Adam Silver, uh, he allows it and even encourages it. Um, and so – Factor that in when you're looking at the over/under win totals. Um, there's there are certain teams with high numbers that they may not not reach that number not because they're not good enough, just because they're not trying as hard as maybe they should. And then uh, the, the flip side is there's there's teams that uh, that have uh, very low uh, over/unders, like take the Knicks or the Hornets, for instance. They're going to win some games in spite of themselves just because. Uh, there are so many bad teams packed into the East. Uh, you know, Detroit uh, is a terrible, terrible team. The New York Knicks are, are terrible. It gets awful, but they're going to play each other a few times, so somebody has to win that game. And um, <laughs> I guess it's a long way of saying regular season games, they set these over-unders, um, and, and usually they're pretty close on about 85 to 90% of them. Um, because the, the guys who make the, the lines know that um, these games aren't as important to the coaches and players as, they, as the league may make them out to be. All right. Well, let me ask you uh, about uh, individual players. Uh, I, I'm I'm a sucker for a good preseason MVP bet, uh, and I, I placed a bet on Luka Doncic at plus 500 a couple of weeks ago when he was kind of the co-favorite with Giannis. Now he's down to around plus 400, and he's the favorite all by himself. It seems to me MVP voters will be hesitant to give Giannis a third straight award if it's close. Uh, do you agree that Luca is the better bet of the two? And is there anyone else further down the board who, whose odds you like? Well, Luca's going to put up a lot of triple doubles. And um, Luca, uh, you know, you watch him. I was watching him last year during the playoffs with my kid. I said, hey, that guy's younger than you. He's like, what? <laughs> my, my kid's 22. And he's like, I'm like, yeah, that kid's 21. But he was a EuroLeague MVP. And he's putting up a, you know, a triple-double night after night after night. He led the league in triple-doubles last year. I think he's a fantastic bet um, for MVP because as long as he doesn't get hurt, he may average a triple-double. He may, he may pull a Westbrook and Oscar Robertson and average a triple-double. He's, he's just that damn good. Um, and triple doubles and uh, and and high win totals resonate real well with with voters. When I was an MVP voter, um, I you know I the, the operative word was always valuable. Um, and if you got a guy who's putting up a triple double on or close to a triple double every single night, and you're top four in the West, um, that that's a hell of a lot of value. And so, I think the the award is actually Doncic's uh, to lose. Um, now Giannis, you know, we'll see. Um, he's he's so damn good. Um, that's why he won the MVP the last two years. But voters kind of kind of want to go for a different flavor from time to time. So um, I, I I think that the the numbers on Doncic uh, are probably just going to drop. If you can get him at plus four hundred right now, um, that's probably not a bad thing to do. If you wanted to uh, if you wanted to look for an outsider. You know, I, I love Nikola Jokic, um, and and he's at uh, he's a twenty to one right now. You know, he's he's the only point center in the league. There's nobody else like him. Um, Devin Booker is twenty five to one uh, for a Suns team that we shouldn't forget went eight and zero in the bubble, and uh, added Chris Paul in the off season. 
Chris Paul is going to uh, get Devin Booker a lot more easier shots. So you may see Devin Booker average 30 points a game, but Phoenix would have to finish probably top four in order for him to get real serious uh, MVP consideration. He might even have to lead the league in scoring to, to get that kind of consideration. And when you're talking about besting a, a player like James Harden, who's going to eventually play somewhere and score 30, <laughs> 32 to 36 points per game, that, that's tough. So um, it, it's really hard to to say, you know, any of the guys on the outside, there's reasons why, why the odds are, are what they are. I was talking to one of the guys at the, uh, at the, one of the big books and he said, we took a huge bet on Carl Anthony Towns at, at a hundred to one. And I said, well, that's, that's a, that's a great flyer bet, but um, the Minnesota Timberwolves just aren't that good of a, of a team. Um, D'Angelo Russell's not a great player. They have really one good player on that team. You know, well, they got Ricky Rubio, so they got, he's not a great player, but he's a very good player. They're going to be okay, but, they, but Carl Anthony Towns would have to average, you know, 30 and, and 18 in order to get an MVP award. So I, the, the odds are where they should be. It's, it, except for maybe that the odds on Doncic should maybe be uh, a little bit shorter. And I think you see them where they are because Giannis is the two-time reigning MVP and he's just, you know, he's such a freak. Um, it, it's hard to see him. It's hard to make an argument that he can't win it three times in a row because if he earns it, he earns it. But if right. if Doncic is up, up there at averaging a triple-double or he puts up, you know, 20 of them in 72 games, he's going to get it. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, Chris, uh, you'll remember, I think it was the late 90s, and uh, uh, the, the, it was a, the narrative was Carl Malone's got to win the MVP this year. You know, it's sort of a lifetime achievement award. And truth be told, as I mentioned, and the last stance kind of made this more understandable for people, uh, Jordan was annoying. He just, uh, especially to the, the media. And so we were tired of him. It's really sick of him. And I happened to have an MVP vote that year. And, you know, I thought about it. And, I mean, I voted for Jordan. I'd you know, I wasn't thrilled about it, but who was the MVP? Jordan was. So Malone won anyway, and I was okay with it. But uh, so I feel like it worked out. I, I did the right thing. I picked Jordan and the voters. Uh, I'm not mad at them because they're the ones who picked Malone. Don't blame me for it. So, yeah, the voters do do stuff like that. I remember the year you were talking about and Jordan took it out of Malone in the finals that year. <laughs> but yeah, there yeah. really was a writers talked a lot and congregated a lot back in those days. And yeah. And you'd say, you know, hey, who'd you vote for? Who'd you vote for? And a lot of guys said, well, I was just tired of voting for Michael, you know. But that's that's not the way it works. Who was the most valuable player? It was clearly Michael Jordan. You should have voted for him. You can't, you can't just say I'm tired of voting for the guy because he's he's too good. He was the, he was the most valuable player. But Michael, you know, that, that kind of stuff fueled Michael. And um, some of those guys are still voting today. And I, I think people have wisened up now that the votes are public. You don't want to be the outlier who, who made a stupid bet or a stupid vote rather, um, because you're going to be ridiculed for it and trolled like uh, like nuts. So, I think guys do their homework a little bit more now and uh, and vote a little more responsibly, uh, maybe than they did in the past. There's not as much homerism in the voting. Yeah, I got one more, Chris, for you. Uh, you know, Brooklyn Nets. I don't think I'm being parochial because. Uh... It's a team I used to cover. I think they're maybe the most fascinating team in the league. Uh, Kevin Durant's physical health, Kyrie Irving's mental health, um, kind of a weird roster, I think. A lot of talent there. But um, you have any strong feelings whether this is really going to work or could it be a train wreck or, or is it just uh, too hard to tell? I watched their first game a couple nights ago and they scored 38 points in the first quarter and mm-hmm. they look like they've been playing together for years, Kyrie and, and Kevin. Um, they're, you know, they're too deep everywhere. Spencer Dinwiddie comes off the bench. Uh, DeAndre Jordan comes off the bench behind uh, Jared Allen at center. Karis LeVert didn't play in that game. Now, granted, they were playing the Wizards, uh, so it wasn't really, you know, a top competition, but they looked fantastic, John. And uh, um, I, I think the, the one-year wait was worth it. Sean Marks took a big gamble in, uh, in going out there and getting Kevin Durant with a torn Achilles. And then um, not rushing him back because maybe Kevin was ready to play by the time the NBA regrouped in the bubble. But the Nets were always like, "Wait, why? Why do something uh, for a short-term game when it what it's gonna? Um, you know, it could undo what we're really working toward, which is trying to win the championship in 2021." So they they held him off. He played his first game a couple nights ago. Uh, first game, and I, I guess it's been about 19 months. And he looked like the Kevin Durant of old. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, that's the best team in the East, and it's not even close, okay? So 
if if they don't win the East, it's um, it's not going to be because they weren't the best team on paper. It's going to be because something failed execution wise um, in a series against a good team. And uh, and look, we still don't know where James Harden is going to end up, and he may end up in the Eastern Conference, and that could be uh, a game changer in terms of who the Nets have in terms of competition. So. Um, as much as I love the Nets and we'll call them the best team in the East right now, if somehow the Sixers get James Harden and they don't have to give up Ben Simmons, maybe they can get him for Tobias Harris, um, which is what they're trying to do, then then I think maybe the Sixers uh, become the chalk team in the East. But as we sit here in the preseason, early in the preseason, um, Brooklyn should win the Eastern Conference and they should win it easily. They're, they're that good. All right. Well, I'm I'm a Sixers fan, so no better way to to end this than with your words ringing in my ears of saying at least they have a chance. Uh, so I'll I'll take that. And uh, even even if the Nets are better uh, on paper now, uh, yeah, we'll see. I I had given up on the thought of actually getting Harden without having to give up Ben Simmons for him, but. Uh, Boy, if they could pull that off and only give up Harris and a bunch of other picks and pieces, that uh, that could be something. Well, be be on the lookout, Eric, because other teams want him, and I and I would watch Miami when there's a player like James Harden out there. A guy like Pat Riley is like, I'm going to go get that guy. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that guy. The the problem with Miami is, in order to make the money match, you got to give him, uh, you got to give him Andre Iguodala, and you got to give him um, uh, Kelly Olynyk. And then, then where does the value come besides that? You got to give him Tyler Hero. Probably got to give him Duncan Robinson as well. And Miami doesn't have really any draft picks to trade, but um, someone's going to get James Harden. I'm not of the belief that he is going to remain with the Houston Rockets. Um, I don't know if it'll be Philly, and I don't know if it'll be Brooklyn and um, or Miami. Hey, it could be Indiana. Um, you know, they could give up Oladipo, who's going to be a free agent. And, and get Harden back and know that they're going to have Harden for two more years. So um, it just remains to be seen what happens with James Harden. And, uh, and, and that's going to change the whole complexion of one of the two conferences. And I think Houston would like to trade him to the East rather than to the West. Right. All right. Should be a fascinating season. It's been great talking to you, Chris. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Sheridan Hoops. So all of our listeners uh, can follow Chris there and keep tabs on on all of his work. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Chris. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll, and it ain't pretty, folks. We lost and lost and lost some more last week. Here's the breakdown. My boxing bets went 0 for 4, although I did take one really bad beat and feel okay about my process. In the Hitchens-Mendez fight, I took Mendez as a plus 600 underdog and bet the draw at 22 to 1. I wasn't really expecting to win either of those. Mendez ended up losing a split decision, so I wasn't far off, although in fairness, it should have been a unanimous decision. Hitchens clearly earned the victory. In the Korobov-Ellis fight, I also took the long shot 22 to 1 draw, but my relatively safe bet was minus 125 favorite Korobov to win, and he was in total control, swept the first four rounds in my view, was clearly the superior technician, and then a non-contact injury. He tore his Achilles randomly at the bell to end the fourth. Uh It it goes into the books as a TKO loss. Uh, That Uh that bad beat hurt. Uh, Uh Although I guess it hurt Korobov worse than it hurt us. Uh, All told, my boxing bets lost us $110. Meanwhile, John had two bets. The Navy money line in the Army-Navy game, Army won 15 to nothing, and Cooper Cup first touchdown in the Thursday night game, which missed by literally one yard. Uh, Combined, we lost $125 on those two bets. John, anything to say about your wagers? Uh, well, I like the fact that when we're going bad, we're not increasing the size of our bets. That helps a little bit. True. Um, and yeah, a cup caught a pass in the scoreless game just inside the one yard line. But, you know, the rotting carcass that is the Patriots, they unfortunately have one particular skill left, and that is having two defenders completely shut off any avenue for a player like cup to score on that play. I mean, it was really uh, impressive defensive alignment. And so there was a, like a, a millisecond where it's like, oh, my God, he's going to score. Oh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Um, the Army game was 3 nothing, by the way, forever. Uh, with a first and goal for Navy at the two, producing, well, no points, obviously. They lost 15 nothing. <laughs> right. uh, the winner, you know, winner was going to be determined by the next big turnover. And, 
Navy coughed it up at their own 13-yard line, and that's all she wrote. But I think those were two really good picks for their prices, so no shame here for me, Eric. All right. Well, a uh, bit of a rough week in terms of just pure wins and losses, uh, but the news isn't all terrible for our bankroll, as some of our NFL futures bets look encouraging. Let's update those quickly with three weeks to go in the season. First, John's loan bet is a guaranteed winner. It just doesn't get graded yet because the teams need to complete 16 games for it not to be voided. But Bengals under five and a half wins is clinched. They're at two wins with three games remaining. We will be adding $100 to our bankroll soon. Well done there, John. I wish you'd bet it bigger, but uh, we'll take the win. Uh, And then there are my bets. Uh, The bad news. Cowboys to make playoffs at minus 225 for $225 is almost dead. Yeah, it's a bad one. Uh, Eagles Steelers division winner parlay at minus 126 for $126 probably needs the Eagles to sweep their final three games. So that's not looking good. Don't let me bet on the NFC East next year, John. (laughs) Throw your body in front of it if I try to make one of those bets. Um, Then there's the so-so news. Gronk, under 619.5 receiving yards, is coming down to the wire. He had a beautiful two-yard game last week. He's at 507 yards on pace for 624. If he avoids injury and COVID, this could be quite a sweat. Uh, Next, the pretty good news. Uh, I took Aaron Rodgers for MVP at plus 550 for 40 bucks. He's now down to about plus 150, just a slight underdog to Mahomes. And lastly, the strongest bet, Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year, plus 400 for 50 bucks. He's now the clear favorite at minus 180, although a lot can happen in the final three weeks. TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, and Xavier Howard are all drawing live. Uh, John, anything to comment on there? Uh, yeah, I won't let you bet on the NFC East next year, Eric. That's okay. for sure. Um, also, I, I grabbed football team uh, at plus 425 in real life a few weeks back, and uh, I could be looking at a nice profit there. Uh, meanwhile, the Rams are going to finish the strongest of those teams uh, on a defensive end. Donald's going to win, and Rodgers is going to win, too. So I, I like uh, like the numbers there. All right. I like your confidence. Hopefully, And Gronk's going under. All right. <laughs> You've been saying that all along, that the injury to Gronk is coming. So, uh, again, I'm not asking for a serious injury. Just twist an ankle, miss a game or two, and we're good. Yeah. Uh, All right. With our $235 in losses last week, we are now down a total of $766. We have $1,041 on hold in futures bets. That means we have $8,193 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Yeah, so again, we're behind that tortoise that, uh, you know, slowly gets to the end of the cage and chooses the left side of the pile of lettuce or the right side, and that's how the pick gets made. He's down like 500 <laughs> at this point, so it's not good. Uh, first, apologies for not playing the U.S. Women's Open golf last week. Uh, it's an event I covered at Trump National in New Jersey just a few years ago. Um, I'd seen a headline about it, and I dug around for 2020 schedule online, and uh, it didn't list this tournament, which I guess was rescheduled, and I found an unupdated one, but that's still my bad, so... Uh, I'll get around to that next time, and and I'm going to be betting some women's sports next year in 2021. A little uh, little upgrade to the podcast, by the way. Okay, good. Um, and Northwestern plus 21 versus Ohio State. I've got to pay 113 to win 100, but the Buckeyes didn't impress <laughs> me against an overachieving Indiana squad this year, and I like Northwestern better overall. Ohio State is a touch overrated. Okay. Um, I'm getting in three bets this week instead of my usual two. I'm just going to slide in a quickie to start. Call it the Sheridan Special. I like that flyer on the Portland Trailblazers. It is a good price. He said 50 to 1, which is the DraftKings price, but at FanDuel, they're even better, 55 to 1. So let's bet 20 bucks. You know, we won't we won't miss 20 bucks if it loses uh, for a shot at eleven hundred dollars. So that was a quickie. And I'll follow it with another quickie, a boxing bet. Major fight this weekend as the biggest star in the sport. Canelo Alvarez faces a very solid opponent, Callum Smith. And my favorite bet here is the fight to go the distance. It doesn't matter who wins. Just if it goes the full 12, that pays plus 150. It pays like that's an underdog, but I actually think it's a bit more likely to go the distance than not. So let's take that uh, bet $50 to win 75. All right. And uh, Chris Sheridan also didn't hate my short offseason old teams angle. Um, so give me 110 to win 100 and the Lakers under 46 and a half wins out of 72. Uh, the closer they get to achieving that rate, the more rest LeBron gets. And while I don't root for a LeBron injury, nor should anyone else, uh, at his age, it might well happen. Yeah, I, I like that. That was when the the 
team to- win totals first came out, that was one of the ones that jumped out at me was was Lakers under just after the especially short offseason that they had. You have to figure that LeBron and even Anthony Davis will be getting some rest, uh, especially early in the season. So I like that one. Uh, all right. Uh, for my uh, final bet this week, I'll spoil right now that I'm staying the hell away from the Thursday night game in the Fast Five. Uh, the Chargers and Raiders, huh. two teams that will break your heart if you bet on them. Uh, but I do like a player prop here. Austin Eckler is back to being the Chargers full-time lead running back. He's always been good at catching the ball out of the backfield. And some of Justin Herbert's favorite targets are questionable for tonight. Uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, they might both play, but they might not, or they might be limited. Either way, Eckler's receiving yards prop seems very low, 39 and a half yards. In games, Eckler was healthy this year with Herbert at quarterback. He's put up receiving yards totals of 55, 84, 85, 32, and 67 last week. And that 32 was his first game back from injury, and he was splitting snaps. Uh, so this number, 39 and a half, it's about, I don't know, 10 yards or so too low in my view. Let's take over 39 and a half receiving yards for Eckler tonight, $110 to win 100. And we wrap things up with the Fast Five, where I gained a little ground on John, and for me it feels kind of like my Eagles beating the Saints last week. Uh, Staying mathematically alive, providing a shred of hope, although it's probably just delaying the inevitable. Uh, But for the moment, I have to be happy with my four-in-one week. I had some comfortable wins and some uncomfortable wins. Thank you, Brian Flores, for kicking that field goal with 20 seconds left in the (laughs) Miami-Kansas City game. Uh, And I only lost with Minnesota. John, meanwhile, went two and three. He won with our shared pick on Thursday night, the Rams, and he won with Buffalo on Monday night, but he had an 0-3 Sunday. So with three weeks to go, John has a record of 37-31-2. I'm 33-36-1. He's up by four and a half games. And I can't go heavy on game theory this week because I'm picking first. So here goes. Um, I'm taking the underdogs in both Saturday games. Uh, First, give me the Panthers getting eight and a half at Green Bay. When Teddy Bridgewater plays, Carolina is competitive and the Packers tend to let teams hang around. This is just too many points. If it was seven, I'd stay away. But at eight and a half, give me Carolina. And then the other Saturday game, the Broncos getting six and a half at home against the Bills. You know, you take away that ridiculous game where they had no quarterback, and uh, Denver has actually been playing very solid football for the past month. They beat Carolina last week. They lost by six to the Chiefs. They upset the Dolphins. Meanwhile, the Bills are due for a little letdown. This is their Mm. trap game, coming off the big win over Pittsburgh, heading into a rivalry game with the Pats the following week. I'm not saying the Bills lose this game, but I think Denver will keep it close. One team I don't expect to keep it close is the Houston Texans. They're just too banged up, too many injuries. So while I generally don't like betting on Phillip Rivers, I think the Colts giving seven at home is the right side. Houston is just too shorthanded at this point, and this game means a lot to Indy as they battle with Tennessee to win that division and get to host a playoff game. So I'll take the Colts there. For my next pick, real chance of a push here, uh, but give me the Vikings minus three at home against the Bears. Three points at home suggests that the teams are even on a neutral field. I don't think they are. I think the Vikings are at least a point or two better. Uh, The Bears won big last week, so they're getting overvalued here as a result. There's still a team that has lost six of its last seven. I will take Minnesota to cover. And lastly, the Steelers are banged up, especially on defense. They really shouldn't be favored by 12 and a half on the road against anyone except maybe the Jets. Uh, the Bengals do stink without Joe Burrow, no doubt about it. But 12 and a half is a lot of points. And I just don't think with Roethlisberger starting to show his age as the season wears on with this Pittsburgh defense missing so many key guys. I don't even expect to need a backdoor to get there. But of course, I'll take the backdoor if that's the way it comes. Uh, but anyway, my fifth pick is the Bengals. What do you got, John? Yeah, I have to say, I had a bad feeling last week. It was kind of weird. Even after the Rams blow it on Thursday, I was just thinking, give me one game on Sunday, and then I can, you know, on Sunday afternoon, I'll come up for air, and uh, right. it just didn't happen. You know, Texans was a terrible play. Uh, Bengals less so, but still a loser. But, I mean, Matty Eistros, two interceptions in the final four minutes in a tie Falcons game against the Chargers, who finally, finally found a team they could beat in the last <laughs> second. That yeah. was a tough one. And Bills was a really good pick. So two and three, but the picks were respectable overall. Uh, anyhow, um, so I need a nine and six finish for my preseason goal of 55%, uh, 12 and three to match my last season of 59%, uh, 13 and two to reach the rarefied air of 60%. 
seven and eight for a big adjusted profitable season or five and 10 for just a winning record. So no pressure at all. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we have two of the same games, as you'll see. Okay. Um, Dolphins minus two versus Patriots. Miami's the one AFC team that historically has found ways to beat Tom Brady, even with a mediocre team. I expect their defense to stifle the Brady-less Pats, and Tua does just enough to cover. Uh, I agree with you on Colts minus seven over Texans. Uh, I think last week may have broken the Texans' spine. Uh, just a lost franchise, and the Colts are strong, and they know it. So, yeah, it might be a push, but I, I think the Colts win by double digits. Uh, Chiefs minus three versus Saints. Peculiar spread here. Yeah, Kansas City again played with fire last week with a big lead, and I think that lethargy is going to be fatal in the postseason. Spoiler alert, but uh, they cover here. It's still a regular season. Uh, Giants plus four and a half versus Browns might surprise people. Um, I went three and two two weeks ago while noting that Colt McCoy is better than Daniel Jones, who I expected to play, and yet I I took uh, Seattle anyway. That was a mistake, obviously. Uh, Now I expect McCoy to start, and he keeps it close on Sunday night, especially with ex-Browns coach uh, Freddie Kitchen calling the plays in place of sideline Jason Garrett. Nice little uh, uh, melodrama there for the game. And finally, I go Steelers minus 12.5 versus Bengals on Monday night, coming right at you there. That's good. Um, I can't. I cashed with the, against the Steelers the last two weeks, and now I go the other way. Uh, this will be close to a shutout. So a Matt Pitt offense doesn't need a lot of production to cover here. All right. I'm, I'm, I mean, we'll see which side is the right side there, but I'm, I'm glad to have a head-to-head at this point. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, that's, that's, that plays to my advantage. So one shared pick, one head-to-head. Boy, I didn't know what to make of that KC line. It seems weirdly low and so <laughs> just something about it is scaring me off like the bookmakers know something i don't i don't know the bookmakers often know something i don't so i'm staying the hell away from that one <laughs> uh all right that will do it for this episode of gamble on thanks to everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest chris sheridan you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and john at bergen brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Well, everybody, as you just heard, after 14 weeks, unfortunately, Eric is unlikely to come out ahead this season on NFL picks. Uh, well, I likely am okay, but probably not awesome. Uh, so at this point, to quote Poet Laureate Bill Parcells, you pretty much are who your record says you are. So don't chase glory. Don't chase coming out ahead. Don't chase got to avoid finishing with losing records. Don't chase, period. You know, stick very close to your standard operating procedure in terms of number of games you play, the amount you bet, and just be at peace wherever you wind up. You know, at least you probably had a little fun along the way, right? So with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. <laughs>